Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We're going to be reading the verses uh, 1 through 30. Verses 1 through 30. Gospel of Mark, 7, 1 through 30. Hear the word of our Lord. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the others, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go out, it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. 
But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But he answered and But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Now as we go through the sermon, um, this sermon is prepared from this section in Mark that we've just read, but you also find that I'll be, uh, I'll be referencing or, or, or making reference to uh, the corresponding passage in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. So if you want, you can have a finger in your Bibles there and keep track of, of some of the verses that I'll, I'll be referencing. I'm sure all of us have had times, or maybe we're at the point right now in our lives where we're looking forward to a time of rest. Perhaps we just had that time of rest. Spring break was, was a couple of weeks ago, so maybe we had the opportunity with our families to, or with our family to take a vacation, to go somewhere and, and rest our minds or, or rest our bodies from, from our daily work. Well, here in our passage too is, is a time when Jesus and the disciples are, are looking for a time of rest. Jesus has just completed his Galilean ministry and he's, he wants to take a rest. He's mentally preparing for the time when he's shortly going to journey to Jerusalem and where he will be rejected, where he will be crucified. And at this time, the disciples and Jesus plan to get some time alone. And they, they come away to this region of Tyre. This is a Gentile region that's just north of Galilee. And it's near the ancient Phoenician city of Tyre. And it's here that they want to find, a, a, find some time alone. Find a place of rest where Jesus can just spend time with his disciples. And, and teach them. It says in our text in verse 24 that he entered a house and that he wanted no one to know of it. This implies that the disciples, together with Jesus, wanted to be alone. They didn't want to be bothered. Now, I was speaking a few seconds ago about us wanting rest as well and how this is, this is something that we often want, but what also often occurs are times when we want to have rest, when we want time alone, when we want to have a break. And the plans that we make, though, they don't happen. Something comes up, an emergency comes up. 
Maybe perhaps our children need us. Or we're called into work. Or these vacation plans we had are canceled because maybe one of our children needs to go to the hospital. Plans change. And when we want rest, often it doesn't happen when we want it or in the way we want it. And this is exactly what happens here with the disciples. They want to be alone with Jesus, just so Jesus can teach them. But when they get there, when they go to this faraway place in Tyre, amongst the Gentiles, even there, they cannot get rest. Even there, the people recognize Jesus. It says, and he could not escape notice. Jesus and the disciples were unable to get the time alone that they wanted. And this is especially true in this passage because of this Syrophoenician woman. Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. This isn't a contradiction because many of the Phoenicians, in fact, were Canaanites. So this Syrophoenician woman, she comes to Jesus. She interrupts the plans that the disciples have. And she comes to Jesus and she keeps begging him to cast the demon out of her daughter. In fact, she cries out, recorded in Matthew 15 here, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. This is not something she did once. This is something she continually, continually did. And as we read through this passage, it seems that Jesus is rejecting her. It seems that Jesus is intent on focusing on other things rather than helping this Gentile woman. But we know, and we see in the text, that Jesus had a plan. If we know this passage, we know ultimately that Jesus doesn't send this woman away, but he challenges her. He challenges her, and in response, she shows tremendous faith. And usually, when you hear a sermon on this passage, we, when, when you hear a sermon on this passage about Jesus' interaction with the woman, it's usually about this woman's profound faith. But this evening, we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective. We're not going to leave her profound faith out of it. But we're going to look and see what Jesus is doing in this passage. We're going to look about. Um, we're going to look and see how Jesus is teaching this woman. Yes, he's reinforcing this woman's faith. But we're going to see what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this passage. We're going to look at how Jesus is going to use this encounter with this Syrophoenician woman to expose his disciples' hearts and to prepare them for their future mission, to prepare them for their future ministry. And that's why this evening I've titled our sermon, Challenged Hearts Prepared for Service. We're going to look here at what Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. He's challenging them here. He's obviously teaching us and challenging us as well. And he's exposing here tonight in this passage our sinful hearts as well. He's preparing our hearts for kingdom ministry as well. 
Matthew tells us that when this woman came to Jesus, his disciples were so irritated with her that they urged Jesus to send her away. They said in verse 23, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. We see the disciples' hearts here. The disciples have no use for this woman. She is infringing on their time with Jesus, and plus she's a Gentile, and therefore unclean. And the disciples' minds, this woman has no right to come to Jesus, no right to his healing, no right to the gospel. She is a dirty Gentile, an enemy of Israel. At best, this woman should be dismissed and forgotten about. Now this attitude that the disciples have is not out of them. This is the common attitude that many of the Jewish people display to the Gentiles. The normal attitude is that they hated the Gentiles. They hated the pagan Romans who were ruling them. And they hated the other Gentiles that were surrounding them. These disciples likely subscribed to the traditions of their, Jew, of their leaders, the religious leaders of the day, who taught that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They ignored or redefined the command of Leviticus 19, 17 through 18 to love their neighbor. And they now believed it was commendable to hate tax collectors, to hate criminals, to hate adulterers, and especially to hate Gentiles. According to a John MacArthur, one of the maxims of the Pharisees in those days was, if a Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, you shall not rise up against the blood of your neighbor. But this man is not your neighbor. So therefore, the idea of that day, if a Gentile falls into the sea, you should leave him. And you should let him drown. It is because of this general attitude that when Jesus speaks to this woman in a rough manner, the disciples were probably approving of it. They were probably nodding their heads in approval as Jesus challenged her, telling her that he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when Jesus says to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Here Jesus is comparing this woman to a dog. And this, in fact, was a common way for the Jewish people of those days to refer to the Gentiles. They commonly referred to them as dogs. And what the disciples probably expect to happen here is that this woman is going to be insulted. She's going to turn around and she's going to leave. But we know that this isn't what happens. <clears throat> We know that this woman remains. And what she does is she actually acknowledges what Jesus says. And she reaches out to faith, with faith to Jesus and says, Yes, Lord. 
But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And what's Jesus' response to her? Jesus says, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Jesus has said here, here, he has said nothing to his disciples. Not a word to his disciples. But this short interaction, in this short interaction, he is teaching them an important lesson. A lesson based on what he taught them before. A lesson based on what he taught them in the first few verses of Mark 7. If you look back to what we read, he taught them about, um, through his dispute with the Pharisees, that it isn't man-made traditions that make a person clean. He taught them together with the people that it isn't what is outside of a person that defiles them, but what comes from within them that defiles He taught them if one wants to be pure, he must be pure within. And Jesus pictures this to the disciples here. He points out that these traditions and these rules that are made up by the disciples and their religious leaders mean nothing. Because here is a Gentile. A woman. One despised by Jewish Jewish culture. One who is ritually unclean and an outcast of the religious community. Yet, here in this passage, it is her that displays true cleanliness. It's her that displays a pure heart of faith. She has none of the outward benefits. She doesn't have ritual cleanliness. She does not fit the cultural mold of purity. Yet her God-given faith, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in her heart, declares her to be clean. Children, I think, Most of us remember the story of the ugly duckling. The duck who is mocked and belittled because he doesn't fit in. Because he is different. He's put out of his community and becomes an outcast. We all know the ending to this story. (coughs) We know this ugly duckling grows up and it's revealed He really isn't an ugly duck. But in fact, he's a beautiful swan, more beautiful than the ducks that mock him. So with this woman, this woman is ugly in the eyes of the disciples. But then she displays her God-given faith and displays the beauty of God-honoring and Christ-adoring faith. And it's to her that Jesus says, O woman, your faith is great. And still to the disciples, Jesus says nothing. They aren't commended. They aren't condemned for their attitude towards this woman. But this woman is commended for her faith in front of the disciples. And she continues to show her faith. She says nothing more, but she displays her faith simply by leaving. She left. 
Because she knew that Jesus had healed her daughter. She doesn't remain there and plead with Jesus to make sure it really is so. She doesn't beg Jesus to come with her to her home. But she leaves believing that what he has said, that it is done. She has no doubts. She's exercised her faith in her Savior, and she's left knowing that the demon has gone from her daughter. If there was any doubt in her mind, any doubt in any mother's mind, any mother would have left to make sure it had really happened. But we see again this woman's great faith. She believes, she knows that Jesus has done what he said. And now, finally, the disciples have what they wanted. This woman is gone. And they're all alone with Jesus. However, it's a little bit different than they expected. Because now, they are confronted with what they have just witnessed. Here, what is in their eyes a wretched, Gentile, disgusting woman, not worthy of their time or effort, a woman that is beneath them and ought to be looked down on. Here is a woman that Jesus has just praised. Here is a woman that Jesus has just commended for her faith. This seems to fly in the face of everything the disciples have learned. Everything they have learned about uncleanliness and Gentiles. Hopefully, they're recalling to mind a little bit about what Jesus was teaching them before they came to this region. When Jesus disputed with the Pharisees concerning their hand-washing ritual, when Jesus showed how silly this ritual was, the disciples felt vindicated. And they no doubt agreed with him when he taught that it is what is within a person, it is not that it, what it is without a person that defiles them, but what, with, what is within but here they're uh, confronted with the fact that although they don't subscribe to the rules, to some of the rules of the Pharisees, yet their hearts still remain very similar to the Pharisees' hearts. They despise the Gentile woman because she doesn't meet the ethnic and cultural requirements that they have. They judged her by her outward appearance, not because of what she was in God's eyes, a woman created in the image of God, but because of what she was in their eyes. But when you place the disciples and this woman side by side, they're no different. They're no different in the way that they're both sinners, that they're both sinners in need of salvation. She, just like them, needed a Savior for her sin. And as we look at this passage, we can here look down on the disciples because of their intolerance. We can look down on them because of their xenophobia. We can condemn them because of their narrow-minded attitude. But it's important that we too examine our own hearts to see if we are guilty of this, this same attitude. We say that the gospel should go to everyone. 
But do we, like the disciples, set up man-made laws and cultural expectations that hinder people from coming to faith? That hinder saints from growing in grace? And though none of us would intentionally do this, are there things that we do or are there attitudes that we possess that act as roadblocks to the gospel? We live in a world rife with division, political, cultural, and doctrinal division. What is our reaction to this? Do we lash out in anger and disgust against those who are different than us? Or do we hold firmly to our biblical convictions, engaging in love with those who are different, so that they can be drawn to the gospel of Christ? Do we realize that the only thing that makes us different from everyone else in this world is that we know the Lord Jesus Christ? That He's bestowed His grace upon us? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, have our hearts been changed? So that we love our enemies. So that we care for those who are different than us. I know this is something I still struggle with. Sometimes I like to think I've overcome this, that I care about everyone. I, when I really examine my own heart, I, I see there's much that still needs to change. I still find myself looking down on others, thinking I'm better than other people, just like the disciples did to this woman. And so we need to take our sins, our remaining sins, and we need to flee to our Savior. We need to go to our great God, the only one who can change our hearts. And He promises He will do this. He will help us forget about ourselves so that we can love God with all of our hearts, so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. His Holy Spirit will continue to shape us and mold us so that we can become more and more like Jesus, to care for and love sinners like Jesus did. We can go to our Lord like David did, asking Him to search our hearts, to see if there is any wicked way within us, and then to purge us of our sin. Here in this passage, it's, I have no doubt that the disciples were convicted by Jesus' lesson to them. They were confronted with the sin in their hearts. And Jesus gave them this lesson so that they would realize who they really are. So that they would realize that they really aren't that good. So that they would realize that their hearts needed a lot more work. That their hearts needed a lot more sin stripped away. And this is what the Holy Spirit is constantly doing in our hearts. We begin to think we're pretty good. And then the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit strips back more layers of our heart. And we see more pride. We see more selfishness. We see more bitterness. We see more sin that needs to be eradicated. The good news is, this isn't the end of the Lord's work. 
The Lord doesn't reveal our sins to us so that we would stay there. He does not save us so that we would remain mired in our sin. He saves us so that each of us can be purified. So that each of us can have new hearts. Hearts that love the Lord. Hearts that love and care for our neighbor. Hearts that do not push our neighbor away. But hearts that think better of others than ourselves. And why Jesus is changing our hearts. Why He's shaping us and molding us to be more like Him. He's doing this also to prepare our hearts for kingdom work. If we have changed hearts, if we have hearts that love the Lord, we will desire to do the work of the Lord. Jesus doesn't show us our sinful hearts just so that we'll remain mired in a miserable knowledge of our sin, so that we will remain mired in misery and guilt. He doesn't even work in us for the sole purpose that we'll have new hearts. He does it so that we will have new hearts that go out and serve Him. And this is what Jesus is doing to the disciples here. This Gentile woman is not the last Gentile the disciples will encounter. Jesus is using this encounter to prepare the disciples for when they will be the ones going out. For when they will be the ones going out and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Some of you may ask, may question, why Jesus dealt so harshly with this woman? Why did he want it to seem like he was sending her away? Well, the reality of this is that he wasn't sending her away. Notice what it says in verses 27 of Mark. Let the children be satisfied first. Jesus left room for this woman. Jesus wasn't saying here that the gospel is only for the Jewish people. He left room for her. He was testing her faith in order to build up her faith. What Jesus said to this woman wasn't untrue either. According to the Old Testament, God ordained laws. According to the Old Testament, God ordained laws. The Gentiles were to be viewed as unclean and were not to be admitted to the temple. These laws were established so the Israelites would be separated from the Gentiles and not follow their wicked example. These purity laws of the Old Testament acted as pictures for the Israelites, not so, that, not so they would only conform to the outward standards, but so they would realize their need for inner purity, which could only be obtained by faith in the Lord. So there was a separation that existed, but it was a picture meant for Israel. But what happened is that the, the Old Testament the Old Testament religious leaders, they took it too far. They added to these laws. And they turned them, turned themselves from a people that was to be separate from the Gentiles into a people that hated and despised the Gentiles. 
If we look at the Old Testament, as we just read in the psalm earlier, we'll see that the Gentiles were never excluded from the gospel. And the Israelites, in fact, were to be examples to them of righteousness and show what worship of the one true God looked like. They were to act in a way that the Gentiles would be attracted to true faith in Yahweh. And so, what happens here when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Jesus is not excluding this woman. But he is telling the truth. Because his ministry that the Father gave him, this this ministry that the Father gave him was not a mission for the purpose of excluding the Gentiles, but it was a mission to bring the gospel to Israel. And then from Israel, the gospel was to go to the whole world. From Israel, the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. We see this in the Old Testament. The Old Testament makes it very clear that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. The narratives typify it for us. The Psalms look forward to it. And the prophets expected it. And Jesus is using this time with the Seraphonician woman, not only that the disciples would expect or accept that they are no better than the Gentiles, but so that they would help to fulfill these Old Testament expectations. So that these disciples would go out and preach the gospel so that the Holy Spirit could bring the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. The Lord is beginning to change their hearts here. But it's going to be a process. The Holy Spirit's going to continue to teach them. Jesus will call them to this task in the Great Commission. Peter will receive a vision validating this mission. They will go out and preach the gospel to all nations. The gospel would go out. It would be brought throughout the then known world. And it continues to be spread today. Look around us here. I think most of us, if not all of us, are Gentiles. These promises that were in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in front of our eyes. The gospel has gone out and reached the Gentiles. And as the disciples were called to go out to minister to the Gentiles, so in like manner are each of us challenged to go out and to be witnesses as well. This passage challenges us to be witnesses. It challenges us to actively witness and pray for all those around us. It challenges us to do the work of an evangelist. It challenges us not only to go through the motions, but to love those to whom we are evangelizing. It challenges us to care about those we normally wouldn't care about. It challenges us to be friends with those we normally wouldn't be friends with. And it challenges us to be witnesses to those we normally wouldn't witness to. Perhaps it's your next door neighbor who has loud arguments with his wife. Or is an alcoholic. Or it could be the grumpy girl who sits at the back of the classroom, who wears old black and, and keeps to herself. 
Maybe it's that guy at work, kind of grumpy, or has radically different political views than you. Maybe it's the lesbian or transgender cashier at your local Starbucks. You fill in the blank. As our culture diverges further and further away from the Christian worldview, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we prepared and willing to witness to our culture's people? A people that look strikingly different than we do? They may look different. But just as we compare the disciples and the Syrophoenician woman and we look at ourselves and those in the world, the only difference between us is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We both need saviors. We're both sinners. We both need the gospel. The Lord commanded the disciples to spread the gospel and this same imperative command comes to us. We are called to be lights in the world. And being lights involves walking in love towards all those around us, manifesting the fruits of the Spirit to all those around us. So the question comes to us, not whether the Lord is calling us to witness, but how the Lord is calling each of us to witness. Who has the Lord placed in your life? How can we come alongside them to show them their need for a Savior? This isn't an easy calling to do. An easy calling to undertake. It involves sacrifice. It requires our time. It requires our emotional involvement. It may cause us to be belittled or ridiculed. It may cause us to make financial sacrifice or appear foolish. But it's a mission that each Christian has and one that all of us should take to heart. This is a calling that requires much prayer. Because this is something we can't do on our own. We are not able to change people's hearts. We're not able to make people believe the gospel. So our Savior calls us to point others to them. To tell, us the, to tell them the amazing news of the gospel. And the amazing thing is, and the comforting thing is, that he promises to work. He promises to do what we cannot do. The Lord here has placed a command before us. He's given us his spirit to help us, to change our hearts so that we would love those around us. He tells us to go out and to do the impossible. But He promises to do what we cannot do. So therefore, we ought to prayerfully undertake this mission, knowing that the Holy Spirit will empower each of us. And we, not, we ought not be surprised when the Lord sends opportunities our way. And what joy... What joy when we witness someone coming to Christ. When we see someone realizing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Finding true joy in the forgiveness of sins. Finding peace in their Savior. And then think of the joy in heaven. With the angels rejoicing because one more sinner has been saved. 
Therefore, do we not want to be part of it, a part of this? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would fill our hearts with love so that we would be active participants in the spreading of the gospel, spreading the good and great news of salvation in Christ to Kalamazoo, to this nation, to this world. And let each of us see what our great God can do. Because we know that He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we ask or think. Amen. Let's pray. Our faithful Lord in heaven, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have risen from the dead. We know this to be so. We know and have great hope because you are alive. And Lord, out of, in response to this, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be filled with the desire to tell others to show your love to those around us, that our Savior is risen. He's risen from the dead. Lord, help us to communicate this truth to those around us. Help us to love those around us and to bring them the gospel. We pray that this would be for your honor and for your glory. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.